Look at this. Ball's on the ground. Ball's on the ground. Picked up by the Raiders. And they have a touchdown with Nichols. Mahomes throws and he's picked off. And this one's going back for a touchdown. Two steps, two defensive touchdowns. And it's Jack Jones who had a pick six last week. The Pro Bowl kicker in his 12th NFL season to try to save the day for the Jets from 54. Good snap, good hold. The kick from Zerline is good. And the Jets have taken the lead with still five seconds left on the clock. Here's another pick. That's Patrick Queen. And Queen will not go down until he gets inside the 10. Second down and 20. That is picked off! Adore Jackson changing this game! Hurts in pursuit will not get him! It's a pick six! Adore Jackson! Tyron Taylor looking for a Christmas miracle. Directs traffic and throws back in the end zone. That's the ball game picked off by Ringo. The Eagles survive and end the losing streak. 33 to 25. You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. What what a week if you're a if you're a New York Jet or a New York Jet fan, right? You get the comeback victory that you nearly blew. More on that in a little bit against a really bad Commanders team to end last week, and then you open with Thursday Night Football this week, and despite moments of of brilliance, I suppose, speaking of the Jets and how bad they've been this year, get absolutely waxed in Cleveland by a Cleveland team that punched its ticket to the postseason. So, interesting week to say the least for the New York Jets, and it's not going to get any prettier as we get down the stretch, obviously. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Uh, on the eve of New Year's Eve, uh, welcome just a touch north of 7 p.m. on the East Coast, and there's a lot going on. Now, the big thing that's taking place, and I have it on mute behind me, and that will get everyone up in arms, the Florida State defenders up in arms with disallowing or not entering Florida State, an undefeated Power 5 champ out of the ACC into the college football playoff. I was one of those. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it set a bad precedent moving into the 12-team playoff next year. Florida State, at the moment, in the Orange Bowl against number 6 Georgia, which is another joke at 12-1, and one, at the start of this show, is losing the game 56-3. to 56-3. Now, I won't backtrack by saying that Florida State got it in the rear end by being the first Power 5 team left out of the tournament. The reason that is so upsetting is because what do you do next year when you have 12 teams? Do we still have the same song and dance but for the 12th spot with 12 and 13? I just thought it was a poor message that was being sent from a X's and O's standpoint. Without your playmakers, Florida State's got 20-something uh, guys missing due to injury portal or NFL draft 
prep. You know, Brock Bowers didn't play for Georgia as he's expected to be um, a top 15 pick, but they're the best tight end in the country the last couple of years for college football. Um, so he's not playing. But Carson Beck started the game for Georgia, and he's played well. Um, this is a Georgia team. Both of these teams, and people saying they had a lot to prove. Florida State went in 13-0. and Georgia, before they lost the SEC championship to Alabama, had reeled off 29 straight wins and back-to-back national titles. You don't have to prove jack squat to anyone with those resumes, particularly Georgia. Um, well, you could make the argument they should have been among the, 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 the four teams in the tournament. So the expansion to 12 will help. Uh, this is going to be a sour note for Florida State, but it does not diminish what Mike Norvell has accomplished in rebuilding Florida State football and doing it the right way. This was a strip down. He built it back up. Jordan Travis, the heartbreaking injury about a month and a half ago to end his college season as he continues to prepare for the NFL and, and, and continue to get healthy. 13-1 and one, ACC champion when you play in the ACC championship game with a freshman quarterback who'd only throw four balls in his career is impressive. This will be an ending sort of like TCU went through last year against Georgia in the national championship game when Georgia put up 70 on him. So the last two games and counting now, Georgia has 56. They scored 70 last year in the national championship game. That's 120 plus points in their last two bowl games. That's impressive. That's impressive. This is elite stuff that Georgia continues to do. And it would have been fun to see them in the Final Four, uh, but we won't have that. Obviously, the Final Four is going to be the meat of the show. But I want to talk about what happened in Week 16 in the NFL and do a little preview with my picks of Week 17 in the National Football League first. Uh, you take a look last week in that Giants-Eagles game. Not all that meaningful win-loss-wise for the Giants outside of per perhaps draft positioning. I know a lot of fans get wrapped up in those things. I don't. Uh, the, the chips are going to fall. You're not tanking. That's not going to happen. Um, Giants play hard. They've got talent. They're just not there. And we've said that all, all season. A season opening 40 to nothing loss to the Dallas Cowboys uh, sort of set the tone at 1.2-8. and eight. They reel off three in a row. Everybody's on the Tommy DeVito train. I said last week, and I and I stay with this mindset, not just as a lifelong Giant fan, but as a football fan who I like to think I've seen a lot. I think you have to give credit to Brian Dable and this coaching staff for keeping this together. Right, The Giants had every reason right, to just go out there, throw it around, see what happens last week, play some of your younger guys, and potentially get drubbed by the Eagles. That didn't happen. Now, this was an Eagle team that was reeling, coming into the game uh, on a three-game skid. Uh, at, at, to many in the weeks leading up, a Super Bowl favorite until they met San Francisco. Now, San Francisco looked like the favorite, and we'll talk about what happened in their contest last week against Baltimore. You heard some of it in the opening package. But this was a good test for the Giants, who not only showed up, had a chance to win the game. But the focus that I'd like to, to, to lock down here is on the Philadelphia Eagles. You heard in the, in, in the opening presentation the pick six for Dory Jackson. Tough ball, receiver slips, Jackson takes it back the distance to make it a five-point game. Giants are back in this thing when you think they're left for dead. And what do the Eagles do? And one of the things that had made it so frustrating watching this Eagles team is there were inconsistencies on both sides of the ball. Not after the pick six. 
Jalen Hurts leads him down the field, and they put one in the end zone. That's the Philadelphia Eagle formula. That's the Philadelphia Eagle way we've become accustomed to the last couple of seasons. But that formula or that plan or method that we hadn't seen the past couple of weeks, a la a three-game losing streak. Giants would come back. Tyrod Taylor, who played well, 70-yard bomb to Darius Slayton, another touchdown, and Philly is able to answer by moving the chains again. Now, the Giants had a shot late down eight, but the Eagle defense came up with the interception in the end zone to get them that victory. So when you talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, a game they were expected to win, they were a monster favorite. I think I said last week I felt pretty comfortable that the Giants would cover at 13 and a half and actually move to 14 before kick. The Giants obviously did and only losing by eight. But that was the type of win that Philadelphia needed. Now, from a Giant perspective, we talked about last week and we had some calls on it about closing the gap between yourselves and the Eagles and yourselves and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, granted, we're not through two years of the Brian Dable-Joe Shane era. But the sample size is enough to know that they have not been close to either one of these teams on paper or on the gridiron. And that's a problem. So it was good to see the Giants, with that rising talent, questions at quarterback, obviously no Jones, DeVito gets benched at halftime, and Taylor comes in. And by the way, this shouldn't be much of a decision for Brian Dable moving forward. He's got to play Tyrod Taylor. He's the better quarterback, and he was the QB2 for a reason until he got hurt. There's more life in the offense when he plays. DeVito's a nice story. There's clearly a place in the league for him. But in, in this league, which is all about winning, Giants got to end, and I don't want to hear the crap about the draft picks and finishing 5-12 and 12 and getting a top 5 draft pick. You need so much more than just what one player would do for you unless you would know that you were getting that franchise changer, which you don't. You've got to play Tyrod Taylor. It should be pretty simple. But I think what you saw from the Giants in that game was a sound game plan, the ability to want to throw the ball down the field, the the attempts to get Darren Waller, who had a bad drop in the game, and Jalen Hyatt involved in the offense while still leaning on Saquon Barkley and watching the offensive line continue to develop because the O-line had been better minus the hiccup against the Saints a few weeks ago. This is not the offensive line, folks. I am not saying that this is the offensive line they need to be rolling out with. It is not a great unit, but it is exponentially better than it was in the beginning of the season. I think that's fair. I think most would agree. But you did see a giant team, despite all of the negativity around them, the five-win season, 5-10 five and ten record with two to go, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a healthy starting unit of the Philadelphia Eagles who is damn well going to contend for a Super Bowl title. So I think when you're looking at it from that perspective, you saw a lot of good things from the Giants. And those were exactly the things we talked about last week. Show up, play hard. And give the fan base, give the give the division, give the NFL fans, and those watching, perhaps a glimpse at, hey, you know what? It might have taken some time, but maybe that gap is closing. Maybe there is a formula here. Now, you know they've got to stabilize that QB position with Daniel Jones next season and beyond after that. The offensive line, weaponry on the outside. But there are pieces there, specifically on defense, 
and I'm not saying this as trying to be positive just because it's the team I root for. No one is harder on the New York Giants than I am. But I'm very confident in saying that there are legitimate pieces to build around moving forward, and I think you saw a lot of that Christmas Day against a very good Philadelphia Eagle team that absolutely needed to have that game. The Eagles had to have it. You couldn't lose four in a row number one, and you couldn't lose the fourth consecutive game in that stretch to a five-win division rival. Can't happen. At home, nonetheless. And it didn't. Philly and Hertz put the drives together when they needed to, and that's what they've done the last couple of seasons, why Sirianni and company have been so successful. So I think if you were an Eagle fan, you, ha- you, you took a breath, a sigh of relief there and say, okay, while this gets frustrating, this is the Jalen Hurts that I know. This is the Eagle offensive line that is just mowing people down up front. So I think from a Philly perspective, you're happy going into this weekend's game against your former D.C. Jonathan Gannon and the Arizona Cardinals. Work to be done, sure. But heading into the playoffs, and you know the Eagles are going, they've locked it up. I think you have a little more confidence in saying, okay, we remember what this is like now. We remember why we were the NFC representative in the Super Bowl last year, and we're a play away from winning. So I think that was the good sign. The Giants will end the season. Rams on uh, New Year's Eve, for those listening live, that's tomorrow, Sunday, December uh, 31st. Fox is anchoring the one Eastern time start, and then they end at home with Philly on January 7th, the time of that game, uh, still to be determined. As far as the Jets are concerned, and I just want to touch on this before we get into the Week 17 rundown and sort of a look around the league, um, I had mentioned last week, and it was perfect timing with the Jets playing the Cleveland Browns to open Week 17 on Thursday night, how there were parallels between what was happening with the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. Now, diametrically opposed in the positive and the negative aspects. Allow me to elaborate now that the Jets have lost this game by 17, 37 to 20. Number one, at any point in this season, the Cleveland Browns could have laid down and died. This is a unit that's gone through two quarterbacks, injuries on both sides of the ball, yet they now have 10 wins to their credit, and they're making their first uh, playoff appearance since 2000, since 2020. The Cleveland Browns have 11 players on IR. Among those, starting running back Nick Chubb, who went out as a stud. Offensive tackles Jedrick Wills Jr. and Jack Conklin. Grant Delpit in the secondary is a beast. And obviously Deshaun Watson, their starting quarterback, who they gave millions to. And rookie fifth rounder Dorian Thompson Robinson, who at times had played well. Add into the fact that they just beat a top 10 Jets defense without Elijah Moore, who had really played well coming into that Jet game, and Amari Cooper. Injuries certainly factor in. I said that last week. It would be absurd not to consider what teams are going through. And the fact of the matter is that they hit an absolute home run through five games thus far with Joe Flacco, who's having an absolute renaissance after playing 12 games across the last three years with the Jets, he's come back and looked like the well-oiled machine that he is. He's still got a cannon. He's got that minimal mobility, but he's able to be shifty in that pocket, get the ball out, and get it to his playmakers, whoever they may be. 11 guys on the IR. 
banged up offensive line. At one point in the season, the Cleveland Browns were down four starters on the offensive line. And they have 10 wins and they're going to the playoffs. Folks, my point is, and as this relates to the Jets, because there never seems to be any accountability in or out of house with this New York Jet franchise, coaching makes a huge difference. Schematics make a huge difference. How much longer do the New York Jets need to see things like this happen before they make serious, tough, but necessary changes? You're going on 13 straight years without going to the playoffs, and it doesn't seem to bother their ownership group and Woody Johnson one iota. And it pisses me off, and I'm not even a Jet fan. But then you can look at someone like the Cleveland Browns, who have been a doormat franchise in this league. In similar fashion to the Detroit Lions, who we'll talk about in a minute. And look at what the Cleveland Browns of all teams have done. They're not just winning games. They're winning games in style. Punctuation points. And by the way, yeah, there are times where, okay, the injuries finally catch up to these teams. When you've got a veteran and a Super Bowl champion who can still sling it like Joe Flacco can, this is a legitimate contender come playoff time in Cleveland. The Cleveland Browns, as they continue to roll, are 100% in contention to win the entire damn thing. That is an absolute fact. You get that resurgence as the veteran quarterback, you can make the comparisons with Joe Flacco to someone like Kurt Warner years ago. Came on board with the Giants when Eli Manning was a rookie, got benched, knew it was going to happen when the Giants, with him as a starter, were above 500. Manning comes in, they they lose a bunch of games while they develop Eli Manning. I think they finished 6-10 and 10 or 5-11 and 11 that season. Kurt Warner goes on to Arizona, finds his groove again, and leads him to a Super Bowl where he was a historic play away from winning a Super Bowl championship with the Arizona freaking Cardinals. Joe Flacco is now in that position with the Cleveland Browns. And barring complete disaster, he's going to have a damn good shot to do this because this Cleveland team is beyond legit. This is a scary good team with, outside of everything they have on offense, the best defense in the National Football League. Perhaps the best caller on this show is with us, our buddy Joe Jett. Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, Peter. How you doing, man? Happy New Year's to uh, you and all your listeners. You too, brother. What's up? Well, what's up, what's <laughs> down? You know, just when it can't get worse, it always just comes to what went on Thursday night really sums up the Jets season. Yeah, but there were moments there, Joe, but it was, for the most part, it was about 90-10 negative. The 10% was all right, but the 90 was typical Jet. Uh, I agree, you know, and this coaching staff, you were just talking about it, you know, this is this is really a bad staff all around. And you're right, there is never accountability anywhere with this New York Jet franchise. <laughs> You know, it's no, it's like you do what you want. Nobody cares. If you win, great. If you lose, that's fine. It, it it really has to stop, Peter. 
But, Joe, you, you have been a, a, a Jet loyalist, a Jet fan your entire life. 13 years now going without the playoffs. And you, it, we're not even beating a dead horse here, Joe. You say it's got to stop. It's got to change. I say it. The fan base sees it. The guys in that locker room probably see it or at least should see it. But what 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 is it going to take? to finally make these tough decisions. I mean, Joe Douglas, when he came on board, said he needed six, seven years to rebuild this team. I mean, is is that where this franchise is to just say, hey, you know what? As bad as it's gotten, Rob Sala, Joe Douglas, no matter what happens, you're coming back next season. Does the tune change, in your opinion, Joe, if they blow that 20-point lead to the Commanders last week? Because that almost happened. Yeah, you know, obviously I was at that game, and, uh, you know, a little part of me was hoping they missed it. That, that Zerline missed that to maybe uh, get this regime, so to speak, far away from Florham Park. You know, Joe Douglas has not been good whatsoever as a general manager. He had that one good draft where he yeah. saw us and Brees. All of the rest of them have been terrible. We've gone over this already. But to me, to me, it's Robert Sala. He has lost control of the team. They're giving up 30-plus points against Miami. They got killed. They gave up 28 points or whatever it was to the Commanders. 30-something, 30, 30 37 last week. I mean, this is, a, this is a defensive guy. That just shows that they've almost quit on him. And I think you can see that on the sideline, too. That, that comes across... Even watching on TV, which is problematic, which I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, is what makes it all the more infuriating for the fan base. Now, franchises, Joe, aren't going to be reactionary based on just how the fans feel, right? You don't get hired and fired because of what the fans think. But at the end of the day, you're going to tell me that this front office group with the New York Jets, Woody and Christopher Johnson, don't see the same things? They can't figure this out after this time, after this slog. And this is not a couple of years. This is a de- this is almost a decade and a half of the same nonsense, and it's week after week after week. That's right, Peter. You know, and again, Robert Sala, seventeen and thirty-three as a head coach. You know, this is a winning business. You're paid to win. You're paid to grow players, and you know they just don't do it. 13 years without a playoffs. You know, how about this, Peter? They're the number one penalized team in the NFL. How's that? Is there Incredible. For this? Uh, uh, what did I say with the Cleveland Browns? It comes down to coaching, right? That's why, I mean, it, it'll be Dan Campbell and Kevin Stefanski will probably go 1-2 in coach of the year votings. I, in my mind, it's a no-brainer. It's got to be Stefanski. But this is how you keep these things together. Schematics, game planning, coaching. The next man up mantra to an extent, you got to be careful with that, but you have to build from within. And the Jets entered this season with no legitimate option behind Aaron Rodgers. We know how that worked out. And no legitimate plan up front on that offensive line other than to say, Mekhi Becton is in better shape. We're going to roll out with him. And it's been a complete systemic failure. And no one in that office seems to give a damn. That's right. And speaking of Mekhi Becton, by the way, He's the number one player with the most penalties in the NFL, if that means anything, okay? So that shows how bad he is. He has to go also. This was his year to show that, like, he came back from his injuries. He's not getting the job done. 
I mean, look, bef- Joe, before I let you go, we always appreciate the phone call. What would you do if, if you could sit down at a table with Woody Johnson? What would you tell him to do? You know, it would be wasting my breath because Woody, John- Woody Johnson doesn't seem to do anything at any moment except two weeks ago give Robert Saller and Joe Douglas the vote of confidence that they're coming back. And I'm tired of hearing about, well, you know, give them Aaron Rodgers and he's going to have – what if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt in week three? Now, I still have an incompetent coach trying to, you know, work the team with the backup that has to come in. Correct. You know, it all starts with Robert Sala. I'm sorry. Did we lose him? I think we lost Joe. He might have smashed his phone. But, yeah, I, what he was going at, I think, is, is what everyone agrees with. I mean, this is, again, you've seen this over and over with the Jets and, and, and the plan, if you can even call it that, uh, seems to be consistently inconsistent. And Thursday night was bad. The Commanders game would have and should have been a nail in the coffin if it didn't come down to the leg of Greg Zerline uh, with the Jets almost blowing a 20-point second-half lead. But this has become to now anoint Salah and Douglas as the guys next season already after what has just been another embarrassment um, is a different type of embarrassment in its own right for a franchise that has been full of them uh, under, under Woody Johnson's Guidance and ownership, if you will. Uh, so th- that's pretty much what you have with the Jets. They've got they've got two left, and the, they'll end the season. And this one is is interesting with the Patriots. So you've got January seventh up in New England, and the reason that that is is significant. Both of these teams are bad. We know that Patriots are, are terrible. The Jets might even be worse. It could be the final game for Bill Belichick. Uh, on the Patriots sideline as head coach after 24 seasons. That's a run, folks. That includes six Super Bowl titles and nine appearances. And it and it could be done um, at the end of this season unless Robert Kraft and company uh, are able to work something out there that's amenable to both parties. I know there's been West Coast rumors with uh, the Chargers that are linking to uh, Bill Belichick, and his name will certainly be there at 71 years old if he still wants to do it. Um, he certainly got the acumen for it. Um, is the desire still there to pick up, leave, and go somewhere else, or even stay in New England and continue to coach? It'll be interesting to see. And his last game could very well be uh, as head coach of the New England Patriots against the New York Jets. Um, so, you, And you look around this league, uh, just moving on from the New York squads, I thought it was interesting last week's game between the 49ers and the Ravens, a rematch of the 2013 Super Bowl, and certainly what could have been a preview for this year's title game in San Francisco. But this is a a Ravens team that just continues to roll through people. And I think it's a a bit premature to say Brock Purdy's no longer one of the top two guys for the league MVP, even after throwing four picks. I think that's an overreaction in a 33-19 victory for Baltimore it's tough to overcome those types of turnovers. But if you watch that game, 
you know, wasn't all Purdy. He was trying to make plays, sure, and he's done that all season. He's done that in his career as a starter. Certainly wasn't his night, but under pressure, a ball's tipped. He gets he gets his arm hit on a delivery, uh, and that Ravens defense is just really good around the football. They're ball hawkers uh, constantly. I think after watching Philly beat the Giants and get back on track along with Dallas, Baltimore, obviously Miami after beating the Cowboys, these are teams that are very much in the conversation. Um, to be Super Bowl contenders. Uh, you look at squads like Kansas City. I mean, another brutal loss last week, this time to Oakland. You heard some of the highlights in the open uh, tonight. This is a Chiefs team that just frustrates the hell out of you because they haven't been able to get any consistency whatsoever on offense to really back up a defense that has gone out of its way and played very well. Uh, you, you look at what... Buffalo has been able to do. I mean, Buffalo, were they not left for dead a couple of weeks ago? If the playoffs started today, they're in. I mean, this is a Buffalo team that has had some heartbreaking losses this year. But winners of three straight after beating the Chargers, they would be the number six seed right now. And when you take a look at this playoff picture, you got three locks right now in the AFC. Ravens, Dolphins, and Browns have punched their ticket. Right now, Ravens won, Dolphins two. In the NFC, San Fran, Philly, who with their win and the Cowboy loss go back to the top of the NFC East, and the Lions, who are still very much in contention for the top spot in the NFC overall. They play Dallas tonight for those listening live. And then the Cowboys have locked up a playoff spot. Right now, if the tournament started today, Dallas would be in as a wild card via being the second team in the NFC East. You're looking around right now at the picture. Kansas City would be in today as the three seed. They can't get out of their own way. Has there been a more disgruntled and disgusting team in contention to watch the last couple of weeks other than the Jacksonville Jaguars? Four-game skid, yet they are still the leaders in the clubhouse in the AFC South at 8-7. and seven. And that being said, the AFC South has been a division this year that has been fun to keep an eye on. Because you got the Jags, the Colts, the Texans battling things out. All three of them, eight and seven. It's the Jaguars in first via tiebreaker, followed by the Colts, who right now would be the AFC seventh seed if the tournament started today. And then the Texans, the first team out at eight and seven, one spot ahead of the Bengals and Steelers. So this AFC, and you can't discount the Oakland Raiders at seven and eight. Now, even if the Raiders won out, they would still need a ton of help. But this AFC coming down the stretch the last couple of weeks is going to be highly entertaining. Ultimately, I think the Bills will find their way into these playoffs. Which is why these Week 17 games are of utmost importance. Even for the teams that have clinched, folks. San Francisco, Philly, Detroit, all still playing for something. You want to lock up your divisions and you want to lock up the number one or number two spots at least. Number one gets you that first round bye. The home games are one thing, but if you can get that first round bye, which would be Baltimore-San Fran right now, that's huge. After a grueling regular season schedule, there's a lot to play for even if you've already punched your ticket. And man, is it really going to be fun. Started the week Thursday, I thought it was a no-brainer to go with Cleveland, so I did. 97% of the population agreed. So we went with the Cleveland Brown. 
who absolutely hammered the New York Jets, 37-20. So I got off to a good start. I'm going to go with Detroit over Dallas. By the way, 63-3. Georgia over Florida. Back to that bowl game from Georgia, 70 if this was a 12-team field, like it will be next year, Georgia probably would win the entire damn game. So I like Detroit going over Dallas. And, you know, I'm not going to the Cowboys win this game at home. Of course not. They can play much better with, with, with uh, uh, a larger amount of content on the confines of Jones World. Very well. I'm going to go Lions here. This is a big game for Detroit. This is uncharted territory for the Lions. Won their first division title in 30 years last week. Still with the top spot in the NFC on the line. Give me the Lions in the upset. Mini upset. Arizona goes to Philly. Look, I didn't think there was any chance the Giants would win last week's game against Philly. I thought they'd cover at, at, at 14, and they did. Philly's a monster favorite again. I think it's 12 and a half as I sit here right now. I don't have it in front of me. Philly's going to win the game. I think it might be a little bit closer like we saw last week uh, than many people consider Jonathan Gannon coming back to Philadelphia where he wasn't really a fan favorite as the D.C. in Philly. So he comes back as head coach of the Arizona Cardinals and we'll see what folds there. Philly's going to win the game. I just think it'll be a little closer than most think. Chicago's going to be a favorite here uh, against Atlanta at home. Uh, this Taylor Heineke effect has been uh, pretty interesting. Uh, in Atlanta, as he took over the, the, the starting quarterback spot uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, he was a full practice participant on Friday and didn't have an injury designation. So I think that's big for Atlanta as they look to continue to really stay in this race and have the opportunity at 7-8 and eight to try to play catch-up to Tampa Bay, who's leading the NFC South. I'm going to go Atlanta there regardless. I think it's close. Chicago's been snake-bit a bit this year, but I like Atlanta on the road in Chicago. Carolina goes to Jacksonville. The Jaguars have to win at some point, right? Barely clinging on via tiebreaker to the top spot in the AFC South. Give me the Jags at home over the Panthers. There's been developmental processes here with Carolina. You like to see that with Bryce Young. I just don't think they'll have it on the road for a game in Week 17. Jacksonville absolutely freaking needs. I think they get it. Rams go to the Giants. I think it's close. Rams win that game. You got Vegas going to the Colts. And by the way, Ty Tyrod Taylor is going to get the start for the Giants as he should. He should be the QB1 the last two weeks. That should be a no-brainer uh, for the New York Giants. Vegas. Off the victory over KC. They're going on the road to Indianapolis. Indy might be a slight favorite here. I like them. I'm going to take the Colts outright. Miami goes to Baltimore. This is a New Year's Eve game, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. I struggled with this one. Baltimore, what its defense did to San Francisco last week, and then Miami hanging around the entire time with Dallas coming back late when they needed it and getting the win at home on Christmas Eve. Give me the Dolphins here. I'll do it. I know a lot of people are high on Baltimore. I love what both teams are doing, folks. I'm not saying that. But having to make a pick, that's what you got to do. Outright winner. Give me the Dolphins here. I like the Dolphins. Let's see them get a legitimate victory on the road against a team they are battling for the top spot in the AFC. So Sunday's game is a showdown of one and two in the AFC as we sit here tonight and right now. 
I'll take Miami in this one. Patriots go to Buffalo. I think Buffalo's going to beat the hell out of them. They're a two-touchdown favorite. Buffalo's just got too much of a good thing rolling right now, and I think they're just going to be uh, too strong for this really beleaguered and outmatched New England team who won't have the services of running back Ramon J. Stevenson, who was placed on the IR earlier in the week. Saints go to Tampa Bay. Baker Mayfield and company rolling their home. Give me Tampa. San Fran to, uh, goes to Washington. I like the under in this game. For those of you who fan duel or draft king it, San Francisco really should go to Washington and absolutely murder them. I, can I say that? I didn't mean to offend anyone with such harsh language. But San Francisco gets the win against a, a, a Washington team that I think is the absolute worst team in the league, record aside. San Fran, this is a good week for them to get back on track on the road and pick up a win that they should get. I think they do it. Tennessee to Houston. Give me Houston here. And this is big. C.J. Stroud clearing that last step of concussion protocol. He is ready to roll. I think he, along with Puka Nakua from uh, the Rams, are 1-2 in that rookie of the year voting. I would still probably give it to Stroud, even with the time missed. Houston gets a big win against a pesky Tennessee team who has nothing to play for other than uh, pride. Pittsburgh. To Seattle, has there been a more frustrating team this year than the Pittsburgh Steelers? Eight and seven, third in the North, behind the Bengals and Texans in the current playoff standings. Too many things have happened to this point in the season for me to trust the Pittsburgh Steelers, so I'm not going to do it. Give me Seattle at home in a game they need as well. Cincy goes to KC, Kansas City. Much like Jacksonville. Figure it out. You got too much damn talent. Now, I know it's frustrating for Mahomes. He's not throwing to the best of the bunch outside of Kelsey, who really hasn't been all that great the last couple of weeks. I'm sure Taylor Swift has nothing to do with that because that's another thing I'm tired of seeing. Every every damn time Patrick Mahomes drops back and looks Kelsey's way, you got to see freaking Taylor Swift in the box. That has absolutely no impact on the football game whatsoever. Just drives me nuts. And it hasn't been... Too much of coincidence, you don't think, that he hasn't played well the last couple of weeks? Travis, get single, date her again after the Super Bowl. Since he goes to Kansas City, give me give me Kansas City. Chargers go to Denver and, and just another game. I mean, the, the Broncos' defense frustrates you. Russ is benched, so you don't have him disgruntled. Though Russell Wilson comes out earlier this week and says, despite the benching, he wants to stay in Denver. Teams got him linked to the New York Giants. They got him out west to the Chargers. I want no part of this guy. Let him stay where he is, pick up where he left off next season and beyond. Denver wins in a sloppy game. Uh, two bad teams, but I think the Broncos win the game. And then you got the, the last game to end the week, the night game, the Sunday night. There is no Monday night game this week. Green Bay goes to Minnesota. Yeah, we all fell in love with the Dobbs effect and, and whatnot. And so Nick Mullins has played well. But I like Green Bay to win this game here. Uh, this is a Packers team at 7-8 and eight on the outside looking in. They need the win. They need some help. They're tied uh, in that 8-9 spot with Minnesota right now. So on the road, this would be a huge win. And if they could get some help from Seattle or the Giants, you know, with Seattle losing and the Giants beating the Rams, Green Bay might be in some better position. But there's a lot of fun games this weekend that are going to take place. And almost all of them, actually, have some semblance of an impact on this NFL playoff race, even for the teams that have locked it up, right? There's no. Sometimes you get those games where they, they don't really mean much unless you're going down the line for the tiebreakers. 
But outside of these teams that have clinched, who are still playing for the top spots in their respective conferences, like the Ravens, Niners, Eagles, and Dolphins, these games are huge. And it's going to be one hell of a weekend to watch all of this uh, unfold through these wonderful Week 17 matchups, which are going to set the table uh, for Week 18. Uh, that being said, we got our next caller on the line before we switch gears and talk a little college football playoff. Vinny, what's up, my dude? How are you? Peter, how are you, pal? Good. What's up? Not much. Uh, no, I was just listening to your things about KC. Uh, I just want to talk a little about Patrick Mahomes for a second before anything. He's really got to grow sure. up. He acts. He acts like a complete idiot. I don't. I, don't I get like the frustration, idiot. but it, it it's it is. You're right. It is a little much at times. It's it's like so over the top, so over dramatized. It's you know. I mean, you, you're a Super Bowl winner. You're a perennial pro bowler. Act like a pro. Yeah, he, he acts like a complete idiot. He acts like a spoiled little brat child who hasn't got their toy I mean, about him. Seriously. I mean, you know, Tom Brady did the same stuff, too, and it used to irk yeah, me, so not, I'm with you. Not, not like that, though. He just he just, he just looks more like a sissy doing it. I don't know. It just, it just irks me. It just gotcha. irks me. Okay, let's get to the, we'll get to the Giants quick. I just want yeah. to mention another thing about, the biggest fake stats in the world are this Kayvon Thibodeau. Fakest oh. 14 sacks I've ever seen in my life. I don't understand your, your, the vitriol you have for this kid. Course, I, 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 I think he's phenomenal. Stinks, Pete. Because I watch the games and I know, and I know football. Okay? I I'm not saying you don't. Anytime this guy plays against a good tackle, he gets <laughs> manhandled. Did you watch the game this week? He didn't get I did. near the corner. He played against a good tackle. With, he sure. Played against a, Okay, and he didn't get near the quarterback. He's horrible. He's a nightmare. He only good, he plays good against somebody like Makai Becton. What do you have? Four sacks that game? Against Great. Him? How does that Makai Becton? Let's go back shift gears to him. Okay. Did you do you do you see how bad this kid is? I you know, I mean, there there was an element of of of, of sorrow there. Uh and I don't even oh, think a position change would do it. I just think I, he's overmatched. You know what it is? He's not a he's not a tackle, number one. He's a, I, tell, I give you, I give him one thing. He's a decent run blocker. When he gets to the second tier, he'll hit his first block, and then he just manhandles linebackers and safeties. He's a good run. I think switching to guard might help him. I really do. But he's definitely not a left tackle. That's got to go. And how the Jets are bringing this coaching staff back is maybe the it's biggest. It might be the biggest mystery to mankind. Hey, and Vin, I, you know, I've said it time and time again. I'm not in the business of calling for heads, but change does need to be made sometimes. After 13 years, a decade and a half of this, to come out and say after you almost blew a 20-point lead and then got smoked on the road in Cleveland, to say that these are your guys next year is irresponsible. A 20-point lead to the worst team in football. Oh, we've got, oh. We forgot to put that in there. Unbelievable. It wasn't blowing a 20-point lead to the Eagles. It was a blowing a 20-point lead to the worst team in football. I'm glad you agree because they are the worst team in football. Yeah, with Jacoby Brissett coming in off cold off the bench. And, I mean, how do they – and what do Jet fans think is going to happen next year? What do they think is going to happen? One player does not come in and change an organization. I, I just got to make one more – look, you look at uh, – did Adam Gase get a second chance after the second year? Why is this guy getting so many chances? This guy, you took Zach Wilson last year. He was in a press mm -hmm. conference. They asked him, do you, uh, with the defense and all, he said, what was the question they asked him about? Uh, do you take responsibility for the deal? And he said, no, right? Yes. He was like 
buried in the New York media. He was like, uh, he, he, he was buried, right? I mean, he was put in Siberia. Robert Salah, this guy has talked to Joe Beningo about jet business. The stuff this Salah has done, and and he gets like a pass on everything. Yeah. He gets, he gets he's like, he gets a pass on everything. I, I don't understand what the problem is. You know? It's Well, if if it repeats itself uh next year, Vinny, and, and as always, thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. He makes good points there. If it repeats next year, they're gonna have to make those inevitable changes that I think most people thought would be made, or at least significantly addressed more than they were at the end of this season. But you've got a game left against a rival after after losing by three scores on Thursday night football. And these guys have been anointed with the keys to the car for next season. It's scary how quickly... And this is not the first time Woody Johnson has done something like this. Which is why the Jet fan base lives in perpetual misery. And I understand it. I used to laugh at it. It's not a joke anymore. This is what you have, Jets, Jet fans. And it sucks. What bright future? You sure they got talent? Giants got talent too. On the other side of that locker room with the Giants, there is light down there at the end of the tunnel one year removed from going to the playoffs. Where they give Dable and Shane, deservedly, another year to correct this this mess that took place this year because by all accounts they've they've have held it together rather nicely they're not getting their asses kicked like they were 40 to nothing against dallas to open the season or 24-3 to seattle a couple weeks after that they're competitive without most of their starting unit where is that with the jets the defensive stopped playing at a high level chunk play after chunk play they can't stop the run can't score don't have quarterbacks we knew that terrible o-line and Woody Johnson lives in a fantasy world. Everything's good. My guys are coming back next year. Crap, a lot of good. That does you. What changes there? Probably not too much. But I, but I know, and I understand, and I get it. I'd be as pissed off as all hell if I were a Jet fan. And if that's how you feel as a Jet fan, you have every right to. Because this has gone on long enough, and unfortunately, it sounds like it's going to continue. Um, which is problematic on a number of levels. Sports Today with Peter J. We have been hyped about this matchup since the bracket came out about a month ago. This one just feels a little different. And the two teams, how they got here. Nick Saban, the defensive guru, is process. The grind. But there's a lot of airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking. Firing. Near corner. It's caught. Touchdown, Alabama. Isaiah Bond. 31 yards. Touchdown, tied. Play fake. McCord. Underneath. Intercepted. Michigan. Will Johnson. Jump the route. Cross forward and has it at the five-yard line. McCord looks, fires, intercepted. Rod Brewer and Michigan will win the game. 
This is the ninth straight pass play for Washington. Penix going far side. Back in Bama territory, Ewers from the pocket. Now he'll loft one downfield. A ton of air running underneath it. Worthy's got it for a touchdown. What do we have here? That's just a glimpse at what you've got coming up in this college football semifinal round. I mean, how the four teams got there. Alabama needed a fourth and a mile miracle. On the last play of the game against Auburn, Texas beat Alabama early in the season in Tuscaloosa. By the way, it's hard to put your head around the fact that this is Texas's first appearance in the college football playoff. All that history in UT football, this is their first appearance in the Final Four. Now they got a title victory uh, with Vince Young and Mac Brown years ago, but this is their first appearance, and you would think it would be many more with the, the UT football future. is very bright with Steve Sarkeesian in control of the ship, especially with the expansion of 12 teams next year, I think is exactly what you want here for this this Texas fan base, which is vast. I mean, they travel well. They pack that stadium for every home game on the campus of UT. I mean, those people know they live, eat, and sleep Texas football. And now they've got their two wins away from a national championship. Michigan... Look, you know how I feel about everything that's gone on with Michigan. I, I don't like it. I know things go on in sports. I, I wasn't born yesterday. I don't mean to be the old guy screaming, get off my lawn. You got you got a coach here that was suspended two separate times this year for three games a clip and was supposed to be lauding them and, and applauding them for being the number one ranked team in the country. Now that this is a veteran Texas group, a veteran Michigan group that comes into this Final Four, but it just it it bothers me that you and I and I know losing by sixty points isn't going to do any of that justice with Florida State, but you left a Power Five, thirteen and O team out. The ACC champion Florida State, Georgia gets bounced with one loss to Alabama in the SEC championship, which was a three point freaking loss. And we've got a Michigan team that, uh, on the field, the kids are great. but And it just goes to the point that I say all the time, and this is in society, too. There's no accountability. This is a team that got caught cheating, legitimately cheating. And you got people out there, and I don't like to name names, but I'll do it. Desmond Howard from ESPN. I know we fanboys it for Michigan where he won the Heisman. Backing them up and saying, and, and, and saying they were raked over the coals. It's absurd. This is a program that got caught cheating twice. And I, and I will be rooting my ass off in this game for Alabama. And those are words I have never uttered. And as, as a lifelong Notre Dame fan, I've had complete disdain for Michigan as it is. But this is beyond that. And then you bring in this Washington team that just does everything right. I've been on the Washington bandwagon all season. I said it last week, too. I ain't getting off now. But the Michigan stuff, real, I, you know, I said what I... And I know this is a smaller show. This isn't the Joe Rogan 4.5 million followers, right? I've got my base here, thanks to you. You, you. you let me rant and rave at times. I said in my head tonight, when I come on, I'm not going to get upset over Michigan. And I just got upset over Michigan 
and it bothers me that I did that. So let's break it down. We'll talk about some of the other bowl games that have already taken place. But you got the final four here. You got Michigan, Alabama, one versus four. You on the field, you've got a Michigan team that is is veteran led. They don't turn the ball over. They've turned it over seven times this year. And they're disciplined because they don't commit penalties. Fewest in the nation. Piggyback that with having the nation's top scoring defense, Blake Corum, a, a premier running back who has not participated in the previous playoff appearances for Michigan due to injury. And J.J. McCarthy, if they can keep that quarterback, if they can keep that balanced attack, they'll be right there in this game. Now, third down conversions for Michigan is the key for me. This is an Alabama pass defense that is amongst the best in the country. Well under 200 yards do they get through the air. Kool-Aid McKintry, Terry on Arnold, studs on the back end of that defense. So that's not going to be easy for Michigan to do. But when you have a good O-line and you can back it up with a defense that doesn't give up points in bunches, you'll be competitive in this game. Now, the thing coming into this, the biggest playmaker on the field and probably the best playmaker outside of maybe Michael Penix in this Final Four is Alabama quarterback Jalen Milrow, who actually lost his starting job early in the season. And he worked with offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, who's in his first year. He's done a masterful job as well. Over the last five games, 10 touchdowns and a pick for Jalen Milrow. And he throws the ball. If you haven't seen this kid Isaiah Bond, who scored that magnificent touchdown on fourth and goal from the 31 a couple of weeks ago in the Iron Bowl against Auburn, you haven't seen electricity like this kid. And between him and Milrow, the, the rapport that they've built, and couple that, folks, with the fact you want to you want to break games down. How are you in crunch time? Alabama's four and one in one score games. The lone loss came to Texas. So this is an Alabama team that is is tested. They know how to win in tough spots. And they know how to get the job done. I think Alabama wins this game. I do think it's close. I think both teams will have their moments. But I like Alabama somewhere to the tune of 28-24. I think it's a great game. I think Alabama gets it done. You take a look at the Washington-Texas game. A lot of people will be on that, that Texas sideline, that Texas bandwagon. And I get it. What they've been able to do... The one loss on the resume was to Oklahoma this year in a great game. Washington relies on their efficiency in similar fashion to the team that they're playing. And that comes down to their quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr., who finished second in the Heisman voting, and Quinn Ewers for Texas. The best part about this for Texas, and something that is all the more impressive, is that Texas had to go a couple of weeks without the services of viewers, and here they are still. Now, you know from this show, I've said it before, how big of a fan I am of Steve Sarkeesian, the Texas head coach. I think, I think the guy's remarkable. I think his personal story, overcoming the problems that he had with alcohol, and being very open about that, the things that cost him jobs, to now have this high-profile job at the University of Texas, of all places, where football is life. If you're a Ted Lasso fan, you get that reference. This is uh, remarkable that he's got a shot against the team he used to coach to put the Texas Longhorns in the national championship game. 
I think it's awesome. I really do. From a football perspective, as good as I think that Michigan-Alabama game will be, I mean, again, and, and things go crazy. I don't think too many people gave TCU a shot last year against Michigan. And I don't think anybody saw the beatdown Georgia would then put on TCU. I think most people had Georgia winning the game, obviously, but not by 60-plus points or whatever it was. You know, this is a Washington team, and we talk about how Alabama's been successful in close games. Washington, I mean, they are the definition of play with fire. Messed around with Stanford, almost got burned. Really almost peed away the game against Oregon in Washington before coming back to win that game and then beating them in the Pac-12 championship game. And when you talk about good coaching, obviously Nick Saban is probably the gold standard in the game right now. Steve Sarkeesian's done a great job at Texas building this program back up. Kalen DeBoer, the coach of the year. This guy is not only a great coach schematically, X and O-wise, down the stretch, when your back's against the wall and you have to come up with something, he and his staff and the kids on his team have done that time and time again. Through his time here in Washington, they have 11 consecutive one-score wins. Think about that. Think about how, how meaningful that is and how significant that would be or the, the, how significant that is when you're playing on the stage and in a game of this magnitude to know how to win games when you're up against it. I think this is close. I think you get a higher scoring game in this one than you do Alabama-Michigan. I think it's a one-score game again. And I think, once again, Washington gets it done 37-34. Romo Dunze, the wideout for Washington. Maybe not as electrifying in my perspective as Isaiah Bond for Alabama, but the kid is damn good. First round good. So if they can get the passing game open, which is significant because Texas does not have the greatest secondary. That's kind of the area that I will be focusing my attention on in this game. Texas is good up front. Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy inside on that D-line. Those two kids are, are beasts. But it's on the back end where I think you have some worry if you're a UT fan. But if Texas can win that battle up front, which will be a tall order because Washington's got the best offensive line in the country. It'll be a different type of game. You've got Texas has to win that game up front. And if they do that, they'll have a damn good shot to win this game. They're going in as the favorite anyway. But as I said to open the segment, I've been on Washington's bandwagon basically since week two, and I am not getting off now. Give me Alabama over Michigan 28-24, Washington over Texas. 37-34, the national championship, in my eyes, would then be Washington and Alabama. That would be played Monday, January 8th. Uh, I believe it's 8 o'clock on ESPN. We'll have a show, uh, obviously, uh, before that. But j just looking around some of the other bowl games, and I love when people say, you know, outside of the outside of this Final Four and the national championship, th these bowls don't mean anything. Well, tell that to the kids playing, right? Because if you, if you reach the bowl season, and you're bowl eligible, which means you have to be 500 or better. You have to have at least an even or better record to be bowl eligible uh, in the world of college football. 
It's a reward for performance on the field. And if you go to a smaller school, let's say, for argument's sake, um, an Arkansas state, and you make a bowl game, and you get to go out to Hawaii, or you get to go out to Miami, or, or on the coast of, of California, you don't think that's significant for these student-athletes? You don't think that's cool? Yeah, I get it, the, that the poinsettia bowl, or the, the Pop-Tarts bowl, by the way, had the best mascot I have ever seen in any sport ever. The Pop-Tarts bowl, the trophy presentation was an edible Pop-Tart. And they had the, the, the Pop-Tart mascot stand on top of a prop toaster. <laughs> Somebody pushed the lever down. The mascot Pop-Tart went into the toaster and then slid out the bottom. And you could eat <laughs> eat the Pop-Tart. It was the greatest thing I've seen as far as mascots are concerned. If you haven't seen it, look it up on social media. It's been, it's been all a rave. It was absolutely hysterical. And it, and, it was, and it was really, really well done. But you look at some of these other bowl games, and they have different feelings to them, of course. We know guys are going to sit out um, as they prep for the draft. Other guys are going to enter the transfer portal. I get it. But it, it, for these kids, it's not going to devalue the opportunity for those playing another game with their teammates and coaches. That's significant. If you watch the Holiday Bowl, I mentioned last week it would be the last time you'd see Caleb Williams as a member of the USC Trojans. Granted, it was in street clothes, but the USC offense didn't skip a beat. Sophomore Miller Moss threw six touchdowns in a game as USC beat Louisville, who had a really good first season under Jeff Brown. A 10-win season. So USC and Lincoln Riley ended on a high note. You know, sour taste in their mouth. I get it. Williams probably will be the one or the two pick in the draft. I think most prognosticators have him going one. Um, so USC ends on an eight-win season. Yesterday in the Sun Bowl, uh, which was a really good-looking matchup on paper, but you had a slew of guys for Notre Dame and Oregon State that were entering the portal or draft prepping. Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman, uh, he sat out of the game. Uh, for for draft prep, and I get it. I, to me, Sam Hartman, round five, round six in a draft, maybe he's got a round four ceiling, maybe. But I think you're looking day three for Hartman. In his place, the, the New Jersey native Steve Angeli was great. Uh, 40 to 8 beatdown of the Beavers for Notre Dame. Uh, it's, Notre Dame's been playing football since 1887. And that's the largest margin of victory they've ever had in a bowl game. More significant to that is the, is the aspect that Marcus Freeman, who just finished his second year as a head coach at Notre Dame, which is his second year as a head coach anywhere, followed up a nine-win campaign with a 10-win campaign while recruiting at a high level and bringing back Mike Denbrock to coach the offense. So this has been a really good last month or so for Notre Dame football. New president at the university, new athletic director at the university. You get a bowl win, 10-win season for the Irish. They should end the season in the top 14. And I would expect when the rankings next year come out, I would say Notre Dame is probably, oh, we can revert back to this, but I would say Notre Dame will probably be preseason number 11 if I had to uh, uh, put a number on it. So a nice way to end the stretch for my Irish the Cotton Bowl last night, Ohio State, Missouri, quarterback issues there for, for um, Ohio State. Devin Brown gets the start. He gets hurt in the first half, doesn't play the second half. Uh, the portal entry of Kyle McCord pushed Brown into the starting uh, rotation as a freshman making his first start. Didn't go well. Ohio State led 3-0 after three quarters. And then the fourth quarter dominated by Missouri. 
this is a really great story in Missouri. They win 11 games in a loaded SEC, and with the expansion to 12 games, 12 teams in the playoff next year, why wouldn't Missouri be thinking big picture? They just completed year four under Eli Drinkwitz, who's done nothing but win. 11 wins in his one season at App State. Now here he is at Missouri, building a program, and I've, I said it a couple times, stripped down all the way up. This is how you build a program. This is the blueprint. What Eli Drinkwitz has done at Missouri is how you build a program. And he's going to continue that because they recruited a high clip as well. And he played with the, with the services of Cody Strader, his stud running back, 128 yards on 20 and 29 carries and a score. He's probably a day two or day three pick in the in the NFL draft. Uh, and you look around the Peach Bowl, Penn State just couldn't hang with Ole Miss today. Uh, they were too much. Both teams put up their fair share of yards, but it was the Ole Miss defense uh, that came away with timely turnovers when they needed it. Add in the, the fact that Jackson Dart threw three touchdowns, Kinshaw Junkins, who I love, one of the most electrifying backs in America. 34 carries, 106 yards, and he caught a receiving touchdown as well. Um, all things go for Ole Miss, who gets win number 11 for Lane Kiffin this season. It's the first 11-win campaign in Ole Miss history. And then, as we mentioned, 63-3, to the win for Georgia uh, over Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Uh, does not diminish the season FSU had at 13-1, and uh, but certainly... Uh, a sour way to end the season. In addition to the Final Four, you got the Fiesta Bowl uh, and Citrus Bowl, New Year Day, Oregon, Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, Iowa, Tennessee, take the under in that game um, in the Citrus Bowl. And then later that day in the 5 o'clock and the 8 o'clock hours, the Final Four. Uh, and again, I like Alabama. I like Washington uh, in these contests. Just a little cleanup duty before we get out of here. Uh, the Detroit Pistons, if they lose tonight, 29 consecutive losses would be the wrong type of NBA record for the Pistons. Lucas Giolito goes to the Red Sox on a two-year, $38 million deal, giving them much-needed pitching help because today the Sox traded Chris Sale to the Atlanta Braves for cash um, and promising 22-year-old infielder Vaughn Grissom. Biggest news of the day came out of the NBA. The Knicks made a major trade with the Toronto Raptors. R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second-round pick go north of the border. In exchange, the Knicks get O.G. Ananobe, uh, Precious Achua, and Malachi Flynn. Now, Ananobe comes in as a, a really a stud two-way player. And Achua gives the Knicks, when he's healthy, much-needed depth at the center position. He's 6'8", forward center. That's something the Knicks need, especially with Mitchell Robinson banged up. Malachi Flynn can give you some depth off the bench. Achua was a first-round draft pick out of, out of Memphis a couple years ago, so he's got he's got a lot lot in the tank, and he's going to be another young piece for the Knicks to work with here. Now, the hope for the Knicks is clear, that Adenobi meshes with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle because he's going to slot right into R.J. Barrett's starting spot. And you would think that an extension is going to be done before the 26-year-old hits free agency uh, before the summer. The key there is Ananobi's agent is Sam Rose, the son of Knicks president Leon Rose. I don't think the Knicks make this deal without being, you know, they better damn well be sure that they're going to get this extension done. I know the fan base might be sour and losing quickly, 
R.J. Barrett, wildly inconsistent. And here's the thing. The Knicks are now off the hook for the 107 mil that they would have had to pay him over the next four years. So while it remains to be seen, you want to see OG in this lineup now with Julius Randle and and, and uh, Jalen Brunson, who have played well this year, to see if they can take that next step. Now, it was nice beating the Bucks Christmas Day. But you all know that you can watch this and see, and we're certainly going to talk more NBA as it goes. The Knicks aren't close. They're a playoff team. They're going to be in the tournament. Title? No. Does this move make them closer? It remains to be seen. I don't think this is a swing for the fence the Knicks fan base expected, especially if, if any phone calls were made to Cleveland and they were just told no. But this is a nice move that helps the Knicks, yes, offensively, but on the defensive end of the floor. Because if you watch the Knicks this year, that's where their deficiency has been. And I don't know, Bay can, is, is, a, is a quintessential two-way player, an all-NBA defensive player as well. So that, that, that was the crux of the deal for New York until we get more information. That's how you would have to base this, is why this deal went down is exactly that. It's a two-way guy who can give you some size, get up and down the floor, and defend at a high clip with a young forward center coming in in, in, in Precious Achua who can give you significant minutes and do it on both ends as well. So it remains to be seen, but it is not this disaster that much of the Knicks fan base will make it out to be, especially if OG does mesh with Brunson and Randall. You have to look at the big picture. Because now you get off that, that cap hit and that contract from Barrett. But on the floor, if this develops the way the Knicks must be envisioning, then it works out. To get two quality players in support of someone who was a high commodity as a trade chip in OG Ananobi, I think to this point, you have to, we'll wait and see, but you can, you can ease off hammering the Knicks for this. We obviously will revisit this once he slots into that starting role, which he very well uh, it will be uh, moving forward. So with that, we'll put a cap on it. Uh, you know how to follow Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeart, and tune in. You can subscribe across the board. Hit me up on social media as well. I'll see every one of you next week. Thanks to all our callers. And have a great week. Have a happy new year. Enjoy the college football, the remaining bowl slot. And obviously the final four, again, I like the Tide to roll over Michigan, and I like the Huskies to squeak past Texas in what certainly could be a thriller. Have a great weekend, folks. Have a happy new year. And as always, go Irish. Listen to Sports Today with Peter J. Every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We'll see you there.